No one ever said solving cold cases would be easy, but Congress tasked the Justice Department with solving some of the grisliest murders of the civil rights era, and 15 years later, its results have been pretty underwhelming. On today's episode, we talk about why. Hello, you're listening to On the Merits, the weekly news podcast from Bloomberg Law and Bloomberg Government. I'm your host, David Schultz. Most people have a vague sense that the civil rights era in the U.S. was a violent and bloody time. But it's staggering when you realize that there were so many killings in the South back then that many aren't even included in the history books. For example, every high school student taking a U.S. history class knows about Emmett Till, the 14-year-old boy who was tortured and murdered in Mississippi in 1955 and whose killers were found not guilty by an all-white jury. Less well-known is the story of Johnny May Chappelle, a mother of 10 children, who was gunned down in 1964 by four white men randomly targeting black people during racial unrest in Jacksonville. Like with Till, Chappelle's killers also largely avoided justice, with only one of the four even being charged with a crime. Since that time, lawmakers recognized that the lack of prosecutions for these brutal killings was a miscarriage of justice. In 2008, Congress passed a law directing the Justice Department to reopen investigations into civil rights-era murders. The law, called the Emmett Till Unsolved Civil Rights Crime Act, gave DOJ some funding to dig into these cold cases. But despite that, the department has gotten few, if any, results since it went into effect. Bloomberg Law reporter Ronnie Green dug into what's been happening here and why it's been so hard to even bring charges in these cases, let alone win convictions. And he spoke with me about what he found and about all of the largely forgotten racial killings from that time. There are so many killings uh, from the civil rights era that it can almost make you numb when you look back one after the other after the other. Many of them in the South, though certainly not all in the South. And there are so many really cases of just civil rights horrors that people were killed because of the color of their skin that come to mind. Just a couple that are representative of the of the era. One of them that I've spent a good deal of time looking into involves a mother of 10 by the name of Johnny May Chappelle, who lived in Jacksonville, Florida. And this was in 1964. There was immense racial unrest in Jacksonville, as there was across the country. At that time, Ms. Chappelle, the mother of 10 and midwife, wasn't involved in any of those demonstrations, just walking home, look, actually looking for a billfold that she lost, walking home one night when four young white men decided to drive around the city and kill a person because of the color of their skin. They see Johnny May Chappelle, this black woman walking on the side of the road. One of the drivers reached out the window, shoots, fires, kills Johnny May Chappelle. And as tragic as that killing was, you know, the killing of a mother of 10 children uh, and, and lots of other of these these killings at this time, I think that what makes them especially tragic is that these killers were not brought to justice. Yeah, I mean, in a broad sense, there were so many killings and there was so little justice at this time. In the killings of the 50s and 60s, there's no doubt about that. In the civil rights era, many times local police, local prosecutors did not, and even judges, did not put a great deal of credence, a great deal of focus on these horrific crimes. In the Chappelle case, there were four men in the car. Only one of the four was ever charged. He was actually charged with her murder, but when he went to trial, the jury downgraded his conviction to a manslaughter. He served three years. Over the decades, there were eight different investigations into that killing, none of which changed justice in any way. And that is really typical of the times. In fact, our story looks at how there have been 
120 cases investigated, 120 murders of the civil rights era investigated by the federal authorities, the FBI, the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division. And really, there's been really just scant justice even to this day over these unsolved, unresolved killings of this era. Well, let's talk about why those uh, investigations happen. And it's because of a bill that was passed by Congress and signed into law by then-President George W. Bush called the Emmett Till Unsolved Civil Rights Crime Act. That's right. John Lewis, the late John Lewis, who was himself, of course, a civil rights fighter, civil rights hero, introduced this measure and basically said, we as a society should answer for what happened in this country. And what it did was it empowered the DOJ Civil Rights Division and the FBI to reopen cold cases of the civil rights era, cases like Johnny May Chappelle's and so many others in which little or no justice was found for these horrific killings of the era. And the bill set aside about $13.5 million a year for the DOJ to investigate these cases. And what I found was over the years has been about 120 or so cases that have been closed. And really, despite even dogged efforts, detailed efforts to resurrect these cases, to knock on the doors of witnesses and even suspects, to dig into old files, very little cases can you say there have been justice found. And even the DOJ will admit that. The attorney general in its most recent report to Congress said, It'll be very rare for us to find justice in a courtroom, and that's been the case. And, you know, in fairness to DOJ and in fairness to the FBI, solving a murder is really hard. Solving a cold case is even harder because, as you write in your story, in a lot of cases, evidence has been lost. Evidence has been destroyed, either unintentionally or, in some cases, intentionally. Um, Can you talk about some of the challenges that the FBI has run into when trying to, you know, reopen these these cold cases and solve them? Sure. Even thinking back to the Chappelle case, and I can certainly talk about many other cases, there was a lead detective at that time who was not interested in finding justice. And he literally put the police report on the case under his the floor mat in his office. Like <laughs> swept under the rug, yeah. literally. Yeah, it's tragic, but it's true. It yeah, actually yeah. happened. It, as, as one source told me, it would be funny if it weren't true, but right. it is true. Yeah, these cases are, are immensely difficult to crack. One issue is that the Department of Justice, in re-examining these cold cases, it must look at what were the laws of the land at the time. In other words, civil rights laws have been enhanced over the decades, but the DOJ and FBI cannot look at the laws in the land today. They have to look at the laws that were in place then. That's one handicap. Second thing is, in many cases, court files have been lost. Court files have been literally destroyed. Witnesses lost. Um, witnesses have died, suspects have died, and the laws of that era were so weak that really these are a lot of hurdles that make it very difficult for the DOJ to find modern-day justice for civil rights era murders. That all being said, however, I have to imagine that this is not what Congress had in mind and what the late John Lewis had in mind when uh, he introduced and passed the Emmett Till Act, um, that there would be all these investigations and no convictions, hardly even any charges brought. Is this uh, a problem? Are people in the civil rights advocacy community or maybe people in Congress itself saying, hey, this bill is not getting the results that we wanted it to get? Yeah, that's a good question with, I think, complex answers. Even some of those people, and I spoke with a professor at Syracuse who's investigated a lot of these cases, Paula Johnson, even those sources who are disappointed that there have not been more prosecutions at the same time say 
the Emmett Till Act must continue because the act itself says these murders are important. These names must be remembered. And though there have been scant prosecutions from these cases, having the FBI knock on doors tells the families we haven't forgotten about your loved ones. One of the people I interviewed is Ron Reed is a special agent with the FBI who is the head of the civil rights unit for the FBI. And he says, we always make it an important element of our investigation to let the families know what we're doing. And sometimes we sit down with the families and say, look, no new charges are coming. Some family members are deeply upset. Other family members want to sit down and hear what we what we uncovered. So I think there is something to be said about the fact that these investigations themselves say that these cases have not been forgotten. Right. That I, I think that um, one of the quotes that you had in your story that made me stop and think for a little bit was that, you know, you had an FBI agent who said that the the benefit of the Emmett Till Act is that we're finally doing a proper investigation where none was done before. We'd love to have a conviction. We'd love to bring someone to justice. But, you know, even just the act of doing an investigation that should have been done originally is something. Yeah. Well, I as I looked into these cases, you know, I'd I've been interested in civil rights issues for many, many years as a journalist as a, and also as an author. I was looking into these cases. I was really struck where case after case after case is closed. Yeah. I found 120 cases closed without new charges in current times. But what the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division and the FBI will say is that, you know, we can sometimes find justice. A couple of years before the first Emmett Till Act was introduced, it was reauthorized a decade later, the DOJ did land a couple of uh, life sentences for very old killings in Mississippi. There's also a case in Alabama where the DOJ referred it to local state authorities and got a guilty plea and got a modest sentence of six months. But as challenging as these cases are, once in a while, one will surface for a prosecution. And they say, because of that, we need to keep on digging. And when Congress reauthorized the act, it extended the cold case deadline to cases into the 1970s. So while there has been scant justice, there's no question about that. The cases continue, and there is a hope in the community and a hope, I think, amongst families that there will be more justice found down the road. You know, reading between the lines, though, of what the Syracuse researcher told you, I have to wonder if there is some worry that the funding for this act will run out, that, you know, Congress or at least some folks in Congress will see, you know, the money that's been allocated so far and then look at the number of convictions that uh, have been achieved and say, you know, we're just not getting results here. Is that a worry among some folks in the civil rights advocacy community that, you know, there just will be a lack of appetite to keep funding this, uh, given the the numbers? Yeah, I think that's a fair question. I think that a lot of the families who have been frustrated by lack of new charges will, will speak to that. But on the flip side of that, there are many people out there who say, we've got to keep investigating these crimes just by us being, you know, a country, the, the government, uh, the agents who work for the government. By us investigating these cases, we're saying that they are important. You know, also, I think in a larger sense, the lack of prosecutions in many ways speaks to how entrenched racism was in many pockets of this country in the 60s, 50s, that the cases, the racism was so profound that it is in many cases insurmountable to overcome. But that by 
turning a blind eye would do nothing to help that. I think there are enough people who would say, enough members of Congress, enough members in the DOJ say we've got to keep looking into these cases. I think that it would probably continue. I think that the investigations in the act would probably continue. No, I think that's a really good point. And it's it's worth remembering that, you know, at that time, you know, racism went really, really high up in these communities. You know, it wasn't just uh, people driving around in in pickup trucks shooting, you know, people as awful as that is. You also had district attorneys, you had judges, you had sheriffs who were virulently racist. And they're the ones that, you know, destroyed the evidence. They're the ones that didn't get the convictions and didn't investigate, didn't initiate these investigations. Oh, it was so entrenched. There's another case we look at in Louisiana where these two deputies became the first two black deputies in this parish in Louisiana. And it was also in the same parish, Washington Parish in Louisiana, that at that time, the FBI says, had the largest per capita KKK uh, membership in the entire country. And so you can imagine the KKK was in, and it was enraged when two black deputies be, became the first two black deputies in this parish. And so one day in 1965, these deputies were doing their work. A truck drove past them, shot into the into their squad car and killed one and blinded the other. The FBI put immense resources into investigating this case. While one person was initially charged, a KKK member, the charges were dropped. No one has ever been prosecuted for that case. And think about that. Law enforcement community was outraged by the killing, but despite tens of thousands of hours spent investigating this case, no one has been brought to justice. And one of the reasons is because people in this community were afraid to turn against the KKK. That's another case we look at in, in a good bit of length in this story. And, you know, it was a profound tragedy that these deputies were targeted simply because of the color of their skin, yet no justice has been found in this case. Yeah. Well, I guess we'll see what happens with the Emmett Till Act and whether you know we can see some more results in the coming years. Ronnie, thank you so much for this really important uh, reporting, and uh, I'm really interested to see where this goes. Well, thanks for your time, David. I appreciate it. That'll do it for today's episode of On the Merits. It was produced by myself, David Schultz, our editor is Andrew Satter, and our executive producer is Josh Block. Thanks for listening, and see you next time. Those nine justices in Washington can be hard to keep track of. That's where we come in. I'm Kimberly Robinson. I'm Greg Store, And I'm Lydia Wheeler. On our podcast, Cases and Controversies, we give you a week-by-week accounting of the Supreme Court. The filings, the arguments, the yachts, and much, much more. Check in on Fridays with Cases and Controversies to find out what's coming up on the horizon at the Supreme Court. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.